heard about you. Didn't think you were real. Your guilt's overcome your reason. Hate is useless. I will come for my great prize. If you want the Batman, here is something that can help you. I have a stake in this world, and it's time I started fighting for it. You've fulfilled your promise. I spent a lot of time trying to divide us. I need to bring us together. And make this right. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things The Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at TFRBatPod. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send us an email at TFRBatPod at gmail.com. Now, my name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and today's episode is all about the long-awaited mammoth that is Zack Snyder's Justice League. I've given the movie a few weeks to breathe before diving into it, but today is the day. And joining me for this momentous occasion is a very good longtime friend of mine, Mr. Matthew Hewlin. Matt, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Eric. Um, glad to be here. I've been listening to you for a while, and I'm honored to be, especially on this episode, honored to be here um, to help you review, like you said, the mammoth that is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Awesome. Now this is the this is the first time you uh, you've ever podcasted, correct? That is correct. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'm glad my show can be that. So, since this is the first time on my show, a question that I kind of asked Joe, I'll ask you: um, What is kind of your history with Batman? Your connection with the character? Um. Well. Uh, I've listened to you answer this question before. Um, my like first like experience that I can remember, like first exposure to Batman was um, I'm a '90s kid, so it was Batman Forever. Um, I remember uh, always wanting my older brother whenever we were playing or like whenever I had action figures or whatever. My older brother was Batman. Um, but I always like Robin's character for some reason. I don't know. I think I just like the way he looked or something. Um, and I remember, you know, doing all that as a kid. My dad was a big fan, um, him and my mom both, of the 1989 Batman um, and Batman Returns. 
Um, so that's kind of like first exposure. Um, and Batman was always just one of those, really growing up was really more of the, um, uh, just another superhero that like I was, I was into. Um, my favorite, as you know, um, up until recent years has always been Spider-Man. Um, but as I've gotten older here in the past few years, um, that connection with that character has kind of fallen to the wayside and, um, you know, Batman and superheroes in general has become a bigger part, um, of my life. Yeah, that's interesting because I always remember you being sort of a, sort of more of a little bit of a Marvel guy. I remember Spider-Man primarily. So what kind of changed to, to flip that? Um, well, the, I don't really ever know what my original, like, um, draw to Spider-Man was other than, I mean, you know, when we were kids, we kind of just like, oh, he looks cooler. Like his, I like his colors better than his or whatever. And then as we grow older, we start to find like deeper connections. Um, and always related more to like the Peter Parker, like character, like, you know, kid goes through hard stuff at school, like never really fits in. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets, you know, he's the geeky kid or whatever. And then all of a sudden he gets these, you know, comes into his own, you know, um, in an extraordinary way kind of thing. Um, you know, he always wanted the girl kind of thing and um, mm -hmm. had to overcome loss at a young age. Um, and I, I really always connected more with that. Um, but like I said, in the past few years, especially the last year, um, specifically, like I've kind of had a lot of things change in my life. Um, and so my focus and my relationship to that character is kind of, um, started to distance itself. Um, and yeah, I have been up until recently a, a very like hardcore Marvel guy. Um, but starting watching like all of the animated, um, DC, um, films and info out there is just, um, I'm really starting to, to shift um, big time. So it's it's definitely at least 50-50, um, probably more like a 60-40 DC kind of thing now, but um, Marvel's coming oh, yeah. back into the, into the fight with some of their Disney Plus stuff, but we'll, um, we won't talk about that today. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great, though. I mean, because I, I love both sides of the fence. Obviously, I lean a, a little more DC, but it's, it's, it's great that both can have that, that tug and pull with your fandom that's that's pretty cool because it's it doesn't have to be a fight it can it can be you know you like both yeah like i'm i i kind of you know laugh or you know put off all this like oh dc's better than the marvel here and marvel and i'm like well it just depends on who you like who you connect with more like there's no reason to to trash one over the other kind of thing you know yeah, yeah, but specifically, I do remember you diving into that animated DC world because you were you were messaging me for for a little while, like like rapid fire, asking you know suggestions and stuff like that. And I think you just kind of dove into all of them. But that's that's not a uh, that's not a bad world to dive into. DC's animated stuff is is top notch. No, and I haven't texted you recently, and I think it's more because like I've I kind of exhausted the list. Um, <laughs> There's not much on the uh, HBO Max uh, DC stuff, um, at least on the animated side. That it well on live action too that I have not watched or seen. So, 
I I know there's probably a, a few DC live action ones that you haven't seen, but the ones you haven't seen, I don't know that I'd suggest. So. Yeah, um, basically most of the ones that I like, I haven't seen. Like I'm not gonna like I don't have much. There's not my thing or. Yeah, I'm not gonna go out of my way to uh, convince you to watch Steel with uh, Shaquille O'Neal or anything like that. <laughs> nah, probably probably maybe 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 one day. <laughs> but uh anyway the so the reason that i i really wanted you on this episode in particular is because as we were just talking about you're you're kind of growing in your in your dc fandom you've really gotten into it in the past year or so so you really i mean not not verbatim but you sort of represent that that more of the general audience view than most people I could pull onto this show. So that was an interesting take um, for a look at this film in particular. So what are like your, your spoiler free, just general thoughts of the film? Um, I thought it, I thought it was great. Um, I went in uh, basically just because of some of the things that I had heard, I was expecting a lot more of a, like a completely, it, it is a completely different movie, but I was expecting something like the plot to be completely different, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, like I told you before, I think I kind of let myself fall into that trap. Um, but, and I, I recently, you know, rewatched um, Man of Steel, BBS, and, um, you know, the Whedon cut, um, or the theatrical version. Um months ago maybe before the maybe back in december i can't remember because i knew that this was was coming and i wanted it to be a little fresher um and i i, I have no complaints <laughs> um runtime was a little long but um you know the way it was released um being able to sit at home in my living room and pause it if i needed to i didn't have to um but you know knowing the fact that i could um was great yeah, that's it. So keeping it spoiler free, yeah, I I enjoyed this as much or more than I I thought I would. Um, I really I don't have I do have a, a few tiny nitpicks with the film. It's not perfect, um, as most films aren't. But yeah, just end of the day, it's it's probably for me personally because i've been waiting so long for this it's probably one of my favorite superhero films ever at this point and that's saying a lot because i mean the the, the nolan trilogy is is fantastic i love those films um but this i mean i've i've had no bones about it ben affleck is my favorite batman and i i did not love what he was in the Joss Whedon version of Justice League. It just seems so tonally different uh, from BBS. And I know he is this, he's supposed to be different because he's gone on an arc, but that was kind of, it was staggering how different he was in that movie. So it's great to see him in this one. And so far as the runtime, like you were saying, I agree, it, it is a long film. And that from like a general audience perspective, like my wife, that was her main gripe is it's so long. And 
But I think it was helped by the fact that it is broken into chapters. So you can watch it as a series, which when I watched it with her, because I watched it by myself at first, and then I watched it with her, um, and, and we broke it almost like into a series where we watched a few episodes here and there, uh, or a few chapters, excuse me. And, and it works really well that way. Um, I'm, I'm not sh- I, I think Zach always intended for it to be broken into chapters like that, but I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, that's that was a um, that was a fantastic idea, and I think it really helps with people who don't want to sit there and watch a four hour block of the movie. Just watch it in chapters. Now, ha- have you just watched it the once, or have you checked it out more than once? I have um, only watched it the once, um, but it's not because like it doesn't have rewatchability. Like the quality of the movie is great. Like, and I'm definitely going to watch it again especially you know if i can find other people to watch it with um but that the four-hour runtime is probably one of the reasons why i didn't watch it again you know because like if i if i do i'm one that doesn't rewatch stuff you know very often like once one of my big draws is not knowing what's going to happen like next um Mm -hmm. so once i've i've seen it and like it's it's in recent like memory like i'm my desire to like rewatch it and watch it again like kind of isn't there um but that's that's true for everything even my most favorite movies you know um i'm not one of those people that can just you know throw something on repeat and watch it over and over and over again um (laughs) but the um the chapter breaks are are great and i i was wondering how well that would flow as a you know watching it as a was it six parts um instead of just the one straightforward i'm glad i'm glad to hear that that does flow very well there were a couple watching it like seeing the like the breaks i was like okay that's a perfect spot you know to Mm -hmm. break and okay here's your cliffhanger or here whatever for the week kind of thing you know tune in next time kind of thing like um i think that works especially on the streaming um platform but I, i also like love the artistic touch of it you know um i didn't think it was tacky or like blame or anything like that like if it, if he had done that in the theater like i still would have been like heck yeah, yeah this is it well zach tends to be very artistic with this i mean the the chapter titles are are very good too and it's it's very like some of them are very direct like don't count on it batman and some of them are very you know like beloved mother beloved son where it's a little more it's it's got that that more meaningful, thoughtful feel to it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. Um, okay, well, having said all that, we're kind of going to get past the spoiler-free zone, and we're gonna we're gonna jump into the premise and plot of this film. So, if you haven't seen it, and I don't know why you wouldn't have seen it yet, but if you haven't, this is your chance to step away because after this, we're just going to dive into the story. So. You had mentioned the the plot and the premise. You you were surprised um, at the similarities, I guess. Um. Yeah. Like, I guess this is again like falling victim to the whole you know don't believe everything you read on the internet. Like I um, saw several people comment on certain like message boards and stuff on Reddit. Um. You know how much of the original cut had been you know claims that like. Um, 70% of the movie or whatever had been like, you know, cut and rewritten. Like, I think it was like 80 pages of the script had been rewritten and all this and that it was going to, 
you know, been chopped up so much that it was a completely, you know, what was released was a completely different film. And it is, but like I was expecting, oh, you know, where they're showing Dark Side and teasing Dark Side, like this is going to be kind of the the one off. And I also, for some reason, was thinking that, um, you know, the Man of Steel, BVS, Justice League was supposed to be like a trilogy, like contained within its own. So I was expecting, you know, Steppenwolf to be, you know, knocked out in the first half, and then it was going to be. Um, you know, I was going to get to see the whole Superman gets to cut loose on, you know, dark side kind of thing. Um, uh, but at, it's that 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 was kind of more me just falling right, into so, a, that trap, that Internet trap. But <laughs> so you didn't know about the the original, like the five film arc. No, I did not. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah. So so originally for, for anybody else who doesn't know, this was. This was supposed to be the third film in a five-film arc. It was Man of Steel, BVS, Justice Leagues 1, 2, and 3. So now, having said that, I don't think this movie ever would have been four hours if it would have been in a movie theater. They would have cut it. I mean, yeah. originally it was – I mean, when, when they were – when the whole release the Snyder Cut campaign was going on, there was a whole thing about 214 because that was the – the runtime that uh, Zach had intended for the theater was 214 minutes, which is quite a bit south of four hours. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that once they gave him the chance to to really just have his vision go out there, he decided to go all out and give yeah. give you everything. And just say, I'm not cutting. I'm not cutting anything. And yeah. Like- <laughs> There's and there's definitely like spots I feel like that you could cut some stuff and it like wouldn't even for like people like us that just love it like it's not gonna it wouldn't matter like as an example like that first scene where we see um, Bruce on the horse in the mountains going to look for Aquaman there's mm-hmm. literally like two or three minutes of him just of just shots of him like on the horse in the mountains like over and over and over again like and i feel like if you're going to release it in theaters you cut that down to like two shots maybe and then he's in the you know kind of like what i think from what i remember of the theatrical cut they did you know that stuff that's just fluff right yeah but you know since it's on hbo max and you can enjoy it anytime you want to i have no complaints with having all of it but yeah if they were going to put it in a theater in 2017 like this, yeah, I can understand how you would trim some things here and there. But yeah, so the the primary plot will will be completely transparent. It is virtually the same as the 2017 cut. You know, there's um, Bruce Wayne Batman has guilt over the the events of BBS and has decided to build a team of heroes to take on threats, global threats, uh, universal threats. And with the help of Wonder Woman builds this team and then Steppenwolf invades and has to, has to find the three mother boxes and, and put them together. Basically the heroes fight Steppenwolf at the end and overcome it. That's it. So those very generic basic plot points are the same, but everything surrounding it is completely different. Yeah. So, so far as so far as 
the characters themselves. What did you think of like the development of each character and, and, and the more time they had to be fleshed out here? I, I am all for it. Um, I am. I, the more time that you can spend, like giving me background about a character or taking time to like develop them where I can see a change in from the beginning of the film or the beginning of the plot to the end. Like I'm all for that. Um, I know last year when we first, me and you first started talking back and forth about this, um, I had mentioned I hope they do it as a, you know, as a series, because with, you know, when you take, uh, like whenever you take like book adaptations and stuff like that, um, when you do it in a movie and you're constrained to that, you know, two hour ish, you know, um, runtime, you're uh, you're very limited on how many of the details and how much of the backstory like you can elaborate on. Whereas if you expand that out and you don't put a limit on, you know, time, you get more time to flesh it out and get yourself um, uh, more invested. And um, notably, you know, Cyborg, definitely the probably the biggest um, difference between the two cuts. Um, oh, without a I, doubt. I like Barry's exposition. I liked all of the extra um, Atlantis um, scenes. Um, the getting to see um, Diana and Bruce, you know, kind of more behind the scenes, what they were doing to to trek out all these people, and having scenes with Alfred and and Diana together, like all of that, really, you know. And then even using Diana to give the backstory on Apocalypse and, you know, expand on, you know, um, the whole, that side, you know, the villain side, it, it all. Well, they, they did that in the, in the theatrical cut. It just, there wasn't as much of it with Diana and the yeah. backstory. Yeah. And I don't, did in the theatrical cut, did they explain how she knew or did she just know, like, did she just it was passed down like through the ages or whatever they didn't have. I, they didn't. I guess supposedly it was supposed to go along the lines of, um, of the, the airy stuff in the wonder woman film where it was, I guess in the theatrical cut, you were supposed to think in your mind that these were just stories that she had been told when she was younger. Whereas in Zack Snyder's cut, it's something that she actually has to learn by going to that, to that Amazon shrine. Which yeah. it it makes a little more sense. Yeah, and I think it, I think it works either way. Um, but it was still like, and just being able to get those shots of um, uh, Dark Side or um, what's his name before he actually becomes Dark Side, um, Euxus, Euxus, getting you know coming down and battling between the gods and. You you got to love the um, the shot with a Green Lantern um, coming in there and and all like that. That being, I know it was still there, you know, with Steppenwolf or whatever, but um, in the theatrical cut. But it was just so much better in this one, actually seeing Darkseid come in, um, and then the um, motivation for Steppenwolf. Um, he was a much better villain in in this cut than the theatrical cut. Um, his motivations were made more sense to me, like trying, you know, that lost son who's 
who's been sent out and trying to redeem himself. Like, I love that. Yeah, it's actually, um, I mean, when you say character development, I think most people are going to think about the heroes, like especially Cyborg. But Steppenwolf as a character is is much more fleshed out in this film, as you were saying. And it actually, it makes him a more intimidating villain because the you know the best villains i've said this before on other shows the best villains are the ones that are the heroes of their own story and he is absolutely trying to be the hero of his story because i mean you know he's not seeing he's not seeing himself as the villain he's seeing himself as trying to accomplish what he needs to do to get back in the good graces and get back home yeah and the scenes with um with him and decide like like and you can even tell like decide is trying to what can i get out of what can i manipulate out of steppenwolf like to use for my own advantage like i'm you know he's doing all this work but i'm not gonna like pass that on to dark side you know even those just small cuts with that like you get development on another villain on top of it you know yeah decide is a dick yeah yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> like whenever um like you can almost see it in his face whenever they're talking about Steppenwolf says, I found it. Like I found it, the anti-life equation. It's here, like on this planet. This is the planet that, you know, that beat dark side, you know, you can almost hear like you see it in Desaad's face like, oh, shit. Like I'm like you can almost see it visually in my head. I can see dark side like in the background, like just watching from the distance, you know, decide on this call with Steppenwolf and all of a sudden you can see his head like perk up and all of a sudden he walks over and decides like, crap, like now, now Steppenwolf's yeah. going to get back in his good graces, you know? Um, yeah. And that was, that was a, I, so that was one thing. I, the, the like calls back at uh, calls for, for lack of a better term back yeah. and forth with Steppenwolf and decide. That's one thing that it, it does get a tiny bit repetitive because you see it several times. But each time, it, it's like it's not disinteresting because everything you're getting a lot of information yeah. every time they they commune like that, which I thought each, was I thought was very interesting. Each one still progresses the plot. You know, it's not like it's just the the same old the same old thing again and again. It's you know, each time you it may start out that way, and you're like, oh, this is same old crap you know Stephen will mm -hmm. shut up but then whenever it turns into something else like it's it's so much better right so do you have a we were talking about character development do you have a favorite character in this film that's a that's a tough one um it, it is a tough question <laughs> um because probably my my favorite dc character like did not get quite as much run time as i wanted him to um but uh and that's just kind of i feel like that's going with the um the easy way out but uh i was very probably development that i was most surprised about liking was um was berries um because i was not very and this is probably you know more because of the due to the theatrical cut the way it handled him um but i was not very impressed and like on the you know the um uh, Ezra Miller, um, Flash, trained like I, I really just did not, didn't strike anything with me, um, from the theatrical cut. But this time, like I really, I, 
I liked his development overall, you know, goes from this really timid kid and all of a sudden he's thrown in with the, you know, fighting beside what's basically, you know, the new gods of earth kind of thing. Like, and I don't know. He's, he's probably my, he's probably my favorite. He's the one that stands out the most in my head whenever I think about the movie. No. Yeah. You're yeah. You have good points. I'm, I'm torn myself as much as I want to say Batman, it's not. Uh, I'm torn in this movie between Cyborg and The Flash. Like yeah. those two, I, I go back and forth with over which one's my favorite because their stories are just so much more expanded and they're so much more interesting in this film. And with Barry, um, I I didn't like in the theatrical cut how they made him so timid, like he had never fought before. Or, or never, you know, he's never been a hero, really. It, which makes no sense, because if you look back in the setup, I mean, in Suicide Squad, you see him capture uh, Captain Boomerang. So it's like, uh, well, that doesn't really track, but okay. But in this one, he's, look, he's much more fleshed out. He's got that, he's got that backstory. And I, the, the scene of him rescuing... Iris West is, is, is a beautiful scene. I love it. The music's great. Um, the, the effects are great. I just, I love that scene. And it also, it's still like, I know that one big critique of Zack Snyder is that supposedly he doesn't have any humor in his films. And the little hot dog with the dogs moment was, I thought was, was pretty funny. My wife thought it was hilarious. Yeah. And that was because you like in every other iteration, like, Barry Allen, Wally West, like the Flash is always normally um, is the humor that gets injected mm-hmm. into the um, into the group, and um, I think they did that in the theatrical cut, but I think it's it's done just as well, if not better, in this cut. Um, he still does, you know, bring off the the one liners and and things like that, and it just you can go from the very serious moment and then, you know, you're laughing and those, and he's got memorable moments too in this one. Um, Yeah. So I think, I think my, my issue is with the, with the theatrical cut, they make him kind of, he's still trying to be the the comedic relief for the humor, but he's just a little too goofy in the theatrical cut, I think. Whereas in this one, and and I heard, and I don't know if this is the actual thought process, but I like this theory so much that it's now like headcanon for me. I saw someone theorize that the Flash Barry Allen is so fast that not only is it his body, his mind is is extremely fast as well. So it's almost like he's on the 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 spectrum. Yeah. Which. Watching this this version of the film makes so much sense to me because it that would explain why he has these little odd quirks and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's if that's at all what Ezra Miller was going for, but for, it works for me because it just it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it def- it definitely does, um, and I I like the fact that we get to see so much more of him and get to see him actually struggling. Because I feel like in so much of like other media, the Flash is you know by the time he gets his powers or whatever, he's already like he's already a smart kid. He's already successful kind of thing. Like at least the 
the Barry Allen Flash, you know, in most iterations, like, he's already, um, like, take the Arrowverse version with Grant Gustin, like, he started out, he was already in the, you know, crime lab, he was already, you know, take away the superpowers, and he's already successful, and, you know, mm-hmm. making his own way, and you don't, like, there's no consequences, you know, to his powers, and it's kind of like with, um, with this Barry, with Ezra Miller's, you can kind of see, yeah, like, I can't imagine, you know, um, the control and stuff it takes to not have to, you know, do all that, and then the effect, you know, because his mind has got to be racing, you know, all the time, and you kind of get that impression with just his dialogue and um, mm. and things, so, yeah, that's, that's, I, I'll make that my head canon. I'm, I'm good with that, that makes sense to me. <laughs> nice. Good. I'm, uh, that's that's what I'm all about. Shifting opinions. <laughs> uh, no, uh, but and his his ending in the movie is like in the main the main battle against Steppenwolf at the end. He gets so much more gravitas in in the whole situation there. Like he's you know he's not just rescuing some civilians who don't really belong in the movie anyway. It's yeah. it like his his ending in the film is integral to the success of the justice league. And I love that it actually serves as a setup for his movie as well, because I think that's what Zach was trying to do here is to set up. Well, this is what the flash can do, which, and if they're going for flashpoint for his solo film, that's an important setup. Yeah, definitely. And it's you, you know, I know everybody probably, thinks about the last scene you know where he 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 saves it all you know kind of thing but um he he does that twice you know um with whenever they're using the mother box to resurrect superman like he he does it there too like where he actually you know reverses time like you know initially as he's coming up to it like he misses it, but then he gets so fast that time starts to warp around him and it pulls the mother box back out and then he touches it. Like, that's that's twice in the movie that he, you know, goes faster than speed of light and ends up reversing time. Um, yeah, so it's like a it's like a double setup. Yeah, the, like, the Superman resurrection sets up the end and then the end sets up his own movie. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah... Uh, Aside from the Flash, yeah, like I said, Cyborg, um, man, I, I think that's the biggest travesty from the theatrical cut. I, I can't believe how much of his story just got erased for the theatrical cut, and yeah. and not only just himself, but how important his father is to the rest of the film. Yeah, exactly. Like the whole, um, you know, my thoughts go back to the. Um, him sacrificing himself to um, irradiate the mother box so that like it'll pop up like and they can find it or or, or whatnot um, like that's that's big and then um, the voice recorder that he leaves um, for Vic and um, letting in every, letting everybody in um, to the ship like it's so much of that getting cut and so much of like you said just um cyborg story um it's 
it's it is a true travesty and it i think that's part of the reason why there's such a disconnect in like why the theatrical cut doesn't really make sense but the snyder cut does um and it's it's that cyborg story um like right well just to be clear i've never thought personally that the the theatrical cut doesn't make sense I, i i think you can watch that film and you can get the picture but the issue is it's just so tightly edited it's you can tell there's just some things that that were supposed to be there that aren't and it it just goes so fast and you just like i'm not saying every film needs to be 4 hours but there's films that do not need to be 2 hours for sure absolutely absolutely so many more that would be um you know that would be better and like uh i know one that i love um and this is complete a completely different genre but still kind of in the sci-fi fantasy kind of thing but the lord of the rings extended cuts um mm-hmm. like those are those are still very great movies for the theatrical cut but if you go ever go back and watch the extended cuts and i think you have before um you get so very much very recently <laughs> yeah you get you get so much more out of it i mean um and it's you know those are already long movies again but they're they're just made so much better whenever you have the entire picture you know um so that's how megan and i started our new year we we watched i i got the the 4k sets mm-hmm. um and we starting at the new year we watched one per weekend so for six weeks we watched the extended versions of all those movies yeah and that's i mean that's but yeah you're right i mean that there's there's films like that that once you watch them and you experience the way it's supposed to be that long extended version uh, like for me it's like batman v superman i never watch the theatrical cut anymore i only watch the the ultimate edition that's that's one where i kind of wish i had that experience because i think um you know when i went back and and watched um the ultimate edition um this year i i think i told you i was like i don't remember you recommended you know watch the ultimate edition like don't watch you know the theatrical cut um and that's the one that's on hbo is the ultimate edition and um you know i texted you back and i was like i don't i think i must have seen the ultimate edition like whenever I watched it the first time, because that was one I did not catch in theaters. Um, I had to watch it. I, I think I rented it or something. Um, and I think I must have, whatever I rented was um, the the Ultimate Edition, because there was no, you know, disconnect. for Like, that. I, I don't know. I, just, well, I, w- I wish I had the ability to go back and compare and like, oh, yeah, now this makes sense, you know, kind of thing. Oh well, I mean, you still have the option of watching the theatrical edition, but I just don't recommend it. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be the same. It's already done. Like I've already yeah. seen the edition. Like it's True. it's one of those you, you have to you have to do it in order, or else it doesn't work. <laughs> well, it's it's not on the same scale, but it's kind of similar to to this film where there's just things that make way more sense if you watch the the fully realized vision. And, The thing about that, like, that doesn't make sense to me is, like, I don't, like, there's not a very much difference in the runtime of the Ultimate Edition versus, like, the theatrical cut. It's, like, 
35 minutes longer. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know. I thought it was like 16 minutes or something like that. I'm like, that's that's something I feel like you could afford to put in theaters and. Um, yeah, I mean, there uh, just like with this film, there are some things here and there you can cut. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily need to see Ben Affleck showering, but you know, <laughs> yeah. It, but it's it's just like uh, over a 35 minute period that five second clip wouldn't affect the 35 minutes very much. So exactly like that's a, yeah, that's, that's kind of my point is like, you know, how much of this stuff really, you know, the details and stuff that make the difference are really affecting the length of the runtime that much. If you, I know they add up, but still like, yeah, a 20 second clip, you know, like two or three of those, like that doesn't, you know, Mm -hmm. now just, uh, to finish up with uh, with character development, um, I think out of the newer Justice Leaguers, Aquaman gets the least in this version. Uh, he he still he still gets some story beats, but I think his his story feels like it falls more with Diana and Bruce, where he's already established. Yeah, and I think I think it's that's probably by design because wasn't the Aquaman movie like released like not like wasn't it the next like solo film to be released like after Justice League yes so it was Wonder Woman Wonder Woman then Justice League then Aquaman was next yeah and so like the the Atlanta scenes are cool like whenever they're fighting Steppenwolf like the one on the beach and like underwater and stuff like that like they're really cool but as far as like progressing the the story or like progressing like aquaman himself like like you said he kind of gets put more on the back burner because we you know i think they knew that we were going to get more of him in his own film quicker you know kind of maybe so yeah yeah um so far as now like I said Batman's probably not my favorite character in this film, but over over the the overarching story, his development between BBS and this film, I love it. I love how how he's just completely flipped the script and he's you know he's seen the error of his ways, which I think is an issue that so many people had with with Batman v Superman is they didn't like how Batman was portrayed, but they. I don't think they understood that you're not supposed to like how he's portrayed there. And in this over, yeah, I'm st- can you hear me? As I was saying, um, I think Batman's overarching narrative between BVS and this story makes so much sense because as many people as I mean, I don't think people liked the way that Batman was presented in BVS, but you're not supposed to. That's the point. Yeah. Like the, the Batman we get in BVS is, um, I think y'all, he's, he's kind of that, um, that in between, you know, like if we think like dark Knight returns kind of thing, like he's the Batman, like just before that, like he's already, you know, he's been in this thing for what, like 20 years, I think is the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he's he's jaded, he's lost people, like he's worked his ass off, you know, in Gotham, and still like probably is not seeing the what he imagined whenever he first set out. Um, 
you know, and it's kind of kind of gotten to him. And then now, um, all of a sudden, you have this guy come in who's you know supposed to be you know lauding himself as the savior in the world, is you know falling down at his feet, and um, you know that he sees it. He's like, you know, why are you people? you know, doing this, like, you not see all the destruction stuff that he's caused and, like, him coming here is caused and he kind of, kind of, you know, vengeful in the fact. And like you said, you're not supposed to like that, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's meant to be the antagonist yeah, of that film. He's meant to be that. And it, I think, you know, he immediately kind of comes off and, like, starts to, you know, turn on his heels and go back the other way at the beginning of Justice League. And um, I think at the end, uh, there's um, the scene, the, the line he gives Alfred as they're getting onto the jet to go fight Steppenwolf um, about, I think it's about hope or faith or something like that. Faith. I'm like, okay, this is probably what Batman was like whenever like he was first starting out. Like when, when it, this Batman and our normal timeline that we're used to seeing Batman, you know, whenever he has Robin and all this, you know, in the earlier days, I feel like this is probably more like what he was. This is probably, you know, what people want whenever they see Batman. And we're, you know, he kind of lost that, but now we're getting it back, you know, because he's got people, uh, you know, like Clark, like, um, and really, like, you know, not necessarily like Clark, because he doesn't, ask, at least in this movie, he doesn't have, as, you know, the interaction. And even across both movies, those two have not had that much, you know, side-by-side, -side, like, face-to-face -face time. But people like Diana um, and and Cyborg and Barry, you know, like, I think that really has a, a big effect on his change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I love what they did with, with his story. But... Now that we have Zack Snyder's Justice League, just as an, an entire story, I, I love this Batman even more. So, but anyway, aside from characters, uh, let's let's dive into some of the more technical things of the movie. Uh, the visual effects. What uh, what did you think, um, especially compared to what we got in the 2017 version? What did you think of the visual effects in this movie? I, a vast improvement. Um, <laughs> like. Yeah like huge um the my biggest thing was in that final scene uh like the final battle like on uh, around the reactor site um i enjoyed that so much more because of that awful red filter was not there like oh god uh, that was so bad. that was that makes to me that alone makes the the final battle of the um theatrical cut unwatchable for me um especially now that i've got this version like uh that was just vast improvement um mm -hmm. all of the other actions like i mean i love them i i will say i thought there was a little bit uh too much slow-mo <laughs> um with some <laughs> of it <laughs> Um, okay, I, I can accept that. I've heard that complaint. I, I like it, but yeah. yeah like I, I, it, I, I, it has its it has its place. Like slow mo has its place and it's used well in a lot of areas. But there and there was it's not even slow mo. Like one that stands out to me is whenever um what's her name? Hippolyta, um Diana's mother mm -hmm. is running away with the mother box 
from um, the place where they had it stored as it's like falling around. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's not in slow-mo, but she's running slowly. I'm like, okay, that doesn't like, that's like glaring to me. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll, for the, for a general audience perspective, I do think that that's, that's one part of the film that is probably going to be widely criticized. I've, I've even seen it. Like I've seen somebody do a breakdown and they said there's like in the four hour runtime, there's 10 minutes of slow-mo. I, I think that's, um, I, I, IGN has a video on it. I'd have to look it back up, but I think it's more than 10 minutes. It may um, be. Yeah. But I'm not sure. Um, but that just for me that shows me that because I know Zach is a, is a huge comic book fan. He's a he's a big time reader, mm-hmm. and those moments remind me of splash pages in comics. Like it gives you that big splash page to just stop and take a second to look at. Like yeah, m- the biggest the biggest uh, inference of that for me is in the final battle right before they enter the the uh, the silo when there's that. They almost stop the screen when the Batmobile's in the center and the league is around the Batmobile. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's an awesome. That's that's a comic book splash page. Yeah, and to so. me, like that's a that's a good use of it. Um, yeah, it may be a little bit corny, and like you said, like general audience might not be like you know what the heck. Um, but uh, I think that you know that to compare that to the Marvel side of that, that is the um, that is the shot that is comparable to when the Avengers like are all standing in the middle of New York with the, the aliens, you know, trashing everything. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes, does the panoramic kind of around them all standing like in a half circle. Like, right. Yeah. Like, Here it is. This is the, you know, this is all of them in the same place in action, like together. Like this is. I've, well, I've even seen, I've even seen online people edit Superman into that shot because they just want <laughs> It's such a cool shot. They want to see the whole league. Yes, that 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 that's. I I understand that. Like I could I could see that. Um, yeah. But that's. I, I I know exactly what Josh is talking about, and I love it. Yeah. Speaking of Superman with the visual effects, I was so happy to see a normal lip on Superman in this movie. Okay, general audience, kind of. Um, uh, feedback here from me watching the um the theatrical cut like i never noticed like an issue there really Um, really i didn't like until like i saw all the memes and stuff i was like what are y'all talking about like what is what is this and you know now going back and looking at it more closely and like comparing the two it's like oh yeah like that that doesn't look that great like that looks bad you know uh but First time watching, you know, the theatrical cut, I, I didn't pay any mind to it. Like it's it's Superman. Like you know, um, that's such an that's see that's that's why like I said that's why I wanted you on this episode because that's such an interesting perspective. Be- when the first time I went to the theater to watch Justice League, when it opened with that scene with the with the kids with the yeah. phone recording. As soon as it opened and Superman turned to the screen, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I, I noticed it immediately. But again, I had been 
you know, you probably knew need. that they would like, had, you kind of knew like the, production yeah, I, I had heard there were issues with the CGI with the mustache and things like that. I, I had read articles about it. So I went in looking for it and it just immediately opened with that. So yeah, that's so interesting that, that you didn't even notice it. Yeah. And that's, um, that's one reason why like I do my best, like before I watch a movie to not check out any reviews. I definitely don't read them. Um, I try not to even IGN is bad about it because they're all over like my Snapchat, my Instagram, like everything. <laughs> it's it's super hard, YouTube. It's super hard to avoid them. But like I don't even want to see the number like that people are giving it because I want to go <laughs> in completely like. Um, I'm sorry. I think I sent you the IGN number for it. <laughs> that's fine. Like it's fine. Like that's that's not that bad. But like I want to do my best to see it without any other prior. Like I want to judge it for myself. Like I don't want to go like go. I don't want to go in with any bias at all, other than right. you know what yeah. I'm going to carry myself. You know, but um, yeah, now, definitely. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was gonna, just going to say like definitely an improvement from you know, the theatrical cut, like all of Superman's visuals. Yeah. And I think the biggest improvement, and, and I think it's pretty obvious is, is Steppenwolf. Like oh. his yeah. design is, I, I was a little torn on his design when Zach first unveiled it, you know, I was, uh, you're talking about the armor, like the suit, just the way he looks in general, like, because I'm so used to the comics version of Steppenwolf where yeah he, in the in the comics he's basically like a human and he has that like that shaped helm but he's like mm -hmm. he's still right. like looks like he could be from birth kind of thing right yeah which I think is what they were trying to lean into a little bit more with the theatrical design and it just it didn't it didn't work he just I don't know he I like kind of what they were going for but it I don't think they had the time or the money to get it right at that point. Yeah. I, I was a little bit critical about the, um, the appearance of the armor on, um, in some of like the, the, the pictures, pictures and stuff. I was like, Oh, that actually kind of looks cornier. I think I like the, you know, the, um, the theatrical cuts version better, but seeing it in action, like it works really well. Um, and I think something that the, the Snyder cut has in its benefit as far as like his general appearance, like his skin and like his shape and the fact that he looks more alien is that we get to see more of like the race or the species of, of beings that live on apocalypse. Like you see mm -hmm. like his, his skin tone and stuff, like it matches up with the sod and dark side. So it matches mm -hmm. up with those new gods from apocalypse kind of, like oh okay like this is what this is what he's supposed to look like he looks normal like for his alien race you know and which makes more sense that this people from this you know um, hellscape planet you know would look, it doesn't make it would make sense for them to look like me and you you know like right not, exactly that's not how they would have evolved or whatever on their planet kind of thing so it's um, you definitely get that benefit of seeing more of them. Whenever it's just kind of him one off, it's kind of, it can be, especially if you're used to seeing him look different. Like it's kind of, I can, I can definitely see that. Yeah. And, and just to watch his armor work because, and that's, that's a benefit I've had from, from watching it a few times now, just 
his armor is constantly moving every piece of yes. it it even like adjusts itself like to protect him more and like mm-hmm. the way he uses it as a weapon and it's like an extension of himself and that's that uh, you know my initial um trepidations about it like you know that i threw those out the window i was like okay like it, it may not like look like traditional armor like i'm used to and would want him to see but it works i i love it yeah and and that's you know that that's one thing i was a little concerned about when they when they said that you know they were giving and no one's ever officially confirmed the the total but when they said they were giving zach money to complete the film i knew that it was not going to be the amount of a budget that a feature film normally uses for CGI. So that's one thing I was a little concerned about was how is this going to look? And my fears were pretty much vanquished. I, I, I think this film looks great. There are a few scenes that you can tell something is CGI. Um, but I, I'll give uh, Andy DiGenova on Holy Batcast credit. He, he, said something that really makes sense. He said, you know, with these films, you know there's going to be CGI. But the thing is, is can you look at it and say, yes, I know that's computer generated, but it doesn't reek of it to the point where it takes me out of the film. Yeah, exactly. Like, is there, exactly. Does it take you out of it? Does it break your immersion to the point where you can't enjoy the scene because it's just such a jarring change from... Yeah, this is a this is a real live action shot to oh this is CGI kind of thing and I never I never really got I don't I definitely can't remember anything so I don't think I ever had that problem. Um, yeah, well and and to that point I mean they on on Holy Batcast they recently had an interview <laughs> with, with Richard Citrone which is Ben Affleck's stunt double as Batman. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a scene in at towards the end during during the final battle. I, and I can't remember which exact which scene it is, but they were asking him, was that him or was it Ben? And he said, no, it's neither of us. It's it's a computer-generated Batman. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> because you couldn't tell at all. It looked like, you know, he was performing a stunt, but no, it was a completely CGI Batman. That's that's awesome because I don't I don't think there's many spots where there's probably if I went back and like tried to pay attention, I could probably pick out a couple of mm-hmm. those, but. Like I said, watching it, and again from general audience and someone, you know, if you're watching this in theaters, I don't, I don't think you're ever going to have that that problem. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we've talked about the visuals. Let's talk about the music a little bit because I know, like, one of the very criticized parts of the theatrical cut was Danny Elfman being brought in, kind of last minute to to score. To, or to rescore Justice League. So what did you think of, of Junkie XL's music in the Snyder Cut? Um, this is not going to be my strong suit. Um, I'm not as like... Music is something where it's very much in the background for me whenever I'm watching um, mm-hmm. film. Um, I, I can say I didn't have any complaints. Um I, I I did find myself paying more attention to each character's like individual um, theme. Like I think the one that stands out the most to me is um, the Dianas, obviously. 
Um, well, yeah, because it's all over the movie. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's all over, and we've heard it so many times now. Um, but it's like, I don't know. It's like you you hear it, and you're like, "Yep, she's about to start kicking ass now." Like, yeah, <laughs> I feel sorry for the bad guys. Like, um, well, and and it is there. It is a little different though. Like he really, I mean. Junkie XL has he's done some very very good scores. Uh, have you seen Mad Max Fury Road? I have not. No. Okay. Well, he scored that movie, and the music is just all oh, it's wild. Um, he also just did Godzilla vs Kong. But oh, okay, yeah, I did see that. He's he's been extremely busy. Like he he did Justice League, Godzilla vs Kong, and uh, he's now scoring Army of the Dead for Zack Snyder. So. Yeah, very busy guy. But um, yeah, I think he just put a little more, almost like a heavy metal feel to to Diana's yeah. music in this. Yeah, um, that's something you and not just in her music, like a couple of other like spots. You know, you notice it. It's not the the traditional like orchestra, you know, symphony mm-hmm. orchestra kind of kind of thing. And all this all the spots, you know, you have that more modern take and i think that that fits better with the tone of the film you know it's a little bit more gritty um you know and you um, i i say i don't like pay as much attention but there are a few moments like i can't say specifically or remember which one but it was definitely like i noticed you know the soundtrack yeah did you like the the kind of chanting that he gave the the amazons um when they were all like fighting or it's not really a chanting. It's like a, um, it's like a hymnal almost. Like they do it several times. I know they do it when when you first see Wonder Woman up on the on the statue at the beginning. Uh huh. You hear kind of that. You may not have even paid attention to it, but you hear it on Themyscira. You hear it there. It's almost like a. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's. It's like a like an ancient choir almost. You've... I, I think I know what you're talking about. You're right. I didn't pay like that much attention to it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's which I think as I'm not saying like it was you know I'm not trying to do it a disservice. It's probably mm-hmm. there's just probably you know the fact that you didn't really notice it, but you still got like those feelings, you know? Yeah. I think that does it. Cause if you're distracted by it, like it's so overpowering, you're distracted by it. Like that's not what the music is supposed to do. Not in a film, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's supposed to just kind of in the background, kind of elicit, like I said, those feelings, like whenever you see, you know, match it up with the visuals. Um, And I definitely had that. And hearing you talk about that, like on a rewatch, I'll probably definitely pay more attention to it. I may even, you know, go, because most of that happens in like just one of the chapters, maybe two of them. I could definitely yeah. go back and watch that. Right. So I think the biggest difference for me with the music is Danny Elfman. And I, I'm going to defend Danny Elfman here a little bit because I always do. Uh, I like Danny Elfman. Um, I tend to like his music, and I'm still impressed that in his little time as he had he came in and did a score now i don't think it's his best score by far but i think his biggest mistake was trying to shove in 
notes of his Batman 89 theme with this Batman and trying to shove in notes of the Christopher Reeves Bat or Superman music with this Superman. It just doesn't fit. And yeah. you, you hear you hear those notes in the theatrical, and it's like, okay, well, Superman has such an awesome score in Man of Steel. Yes. And you hear those piano notes and stuff throughout BBS, and when you got to the theatrical cut of Justice League, it just wasn't there. Yeah. And I love coming back here, and you just you get so much more of the Superman music. You get it with with Lois when she's when she's mourning. You get it when Superman returns. And it just it just it makes so much more sense and it works and it and it sounds great. Yeah. And you have to wonder, like again, like coming to um Elfman's defense on this, like how much of, you know, putting you know, shoving the, the eighty nine Batman and the the Christopher Reeve Superman score like notes and stuff in there, how much of that was someone saying, Oh, I want you to do this, you know, like Well, that's one thing I won't defend him on. Like he's been pretty adamant. Even he, to the lead up of his, like, even to the lead up of that film, Danny Elfman was like, "Batman has one theme." Gotcha. Yeah, okay. well, that's then I, that's. <laughs> then I won't defend him, but I will say this: like, compare it to like Marvel. Um, I think one of the things that DC has going against them is the fact that um, there's a, you know, we have those those classic DC movies. You know, we have that 1989 Batman. We have the Christopher Reeve Superman that are already kind of their own universe as they are. And oh, they're iconic. Compare, yeah. yeah, and when people compare that to Marvel, Marvel has no other, like, there is no repeat. Yeah, you, you know, can't, There is no classic Iron Man. There is no classic like Captain right. America like score kind of thing. Like it's all fresh and new kind of. I would thing. say I would say Spider Man is the only one of the Marvel stable that has that kind of iconic Spider Man theme. It, it and, really is. It really is like the everybody else, especially in the MCU. Like there is no. They're the they're the first you know live action on film you know representation of of the character. So there's nothing right. to go back and you know, compare it to, there's no, there's no real expectation, you know, of what I'm going to see. Cause like, and I'll use, I'll use another general audience member, my dad, as an example. Um, we were talking the other day, he tried to start watching the Arrowverse, um, mm -hmm. uh, shows on CW. And that's a tall was, task. And he was, yeah, uh, it's one that I haven't even tapped. Like I, I gave up like at a certain point and was like, I can't keep up with all this, but he tried, he went back and he watched the flash and he watched arrow and his biggest gripe, he was like, well, with, in Smallville, you know, they had the green arrow and like he had this certain backstory. I don't even remember. It's been so long yeah. seen that, that he had this certain backstory. And then when you come in and now he's on this Island and his dad, he was making all the differences. And I was like, well, Dad, like, they're completely different, like, universes. Like, it's a completely different story. Like, Arrowverse and Smallville have nothing to do with each other. I mean, now they do because of the whole DC multiverse, but, like, I wasn't even going to yeah. try and explain that to him. And, <laughs> uh, and, like, if he was already, you know, as confused as he was, and, but again, he's that older generation, like, you know, um, even, I know Smallville is not that old, but, like, I mean, it's, Hell, it's probably what twenty years old now. I think like, coming up like, on it. Yeah, yeah, it was like early two thousands before you know it came out. 
but even then, like he grew up with 1989 Batman, with Christopher Reeve Superman, with uh, Linda Carter Wonder Woman, like so like he's basing it all and comparing it all to that, and he's like, oh, it should be like this, and, you know, kind of thing or a continuation, um, kind of thing. And I think you know us as comic book geeks, like we we know how to separate it because we're, you know, we're used to you know okay well this is the the main comic for this character but then there's this release right here but it's completely like it's completely different iteration it's someone else's take on the character and i think Mm -hmm. for some people it's hard for them to to get that you know to make that disconnect to be like oh okay this is i need to go in with different expectations right And, and that's and that's why i think bringing in those old themes and trying to slap them on these these versions of the character is, is a mistake. Yeah, uh, and you have, have to. It needs to be its own, and you need to like you were saying, like all the Man of Steel esque um, themes and stuff we got in the Snyder cut, and you know, just kind of looking back, it does feel like it the movies flow better across each other. You don't get that that sharp left turn whenever you go from Man of Steel, BBS. To Justice League, you know, the theatrical mm-hmm. cut, it's like it, you know, kind of stays on the same path, and it's more. I think that's a better business move to me because that create, you know, that creates your, that maintains your universe, you know, kind of like yeah. the to take from the MCU again, like it's that that expectation, that same theme, that same feel that you get whenever you try and completely bring something in to try and do fan service. Um, you know, instead of sticking with the new, it's it's jarring. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's hop to the very end for a second, and let's talk about the the nightmare scene. What did you? Uh, what were your thoughts on on this? Because this is so. This is the only part of the film that was completely new footage. So this was what Zach brought in. Um, all these actors for for additional photography. This is a new scene. Um, well, first off, I didn't like having to wait three hours and forty five plus minutes to actually get to the whole time. I was like, okay, we're going to the nightmare. Okay, we're going to the nightmare. Okay, we're going to the <laughs> and then having it be basically almost an after credit scene. I was like, okay, well, I was still happy I got it, but I was like, all right, let's let's make this. Um, well, to your point, I thought we were going to get it when um, Cyborg connected with the mother box. Yes, for the I first did time. too. Like I thought, I was like, whenever it did that kind of whole, like you know, the Kryptonian ship was like, no, don't do this, like kind of thing. Yeah. I thought we were going to get kind of a he was going to see something like that, and like we were going to get more of a you know a discussion or fight between the two, you know, um, between everyone, him trying to convince them not to, but. Um, I, I love the nightmare scene. Um, I, I'm disappointed that, like, you know, that's not the route that's being taken, um, you know, in the mainstream. Um, I thought... Oh, yeah, because this was supposed to be... I mean, the nightmare was supposed to be Justice League 2. Yeah, that's it's basically supposed to be, like, you know, straight cut from, you know, the Justice League 2 or... Um, yeah, from Justice League 2, because... From what I've read, but um, I feel like it's a it's a nice balance between um, some fan service kind of stuff um, mm-hmm. and some 
just a, a great scene like seeing um seeing one thing that stands out to me is like seeing Mira pop up and I'm like oh so like Arthur's dead like that's the only reason that she would be there like well yeah and she even says that and she, yeah and then she confirms it but I mean even before she says it like you're like oh yeah he's dead like this is this is big like this is bad um, oh yeah and I love the attention to detail that she's carrying huge jugs of water Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, that's she's carrying those gigantic just containers of water so that she can use her powers. I didn't I didn't I didn't pay attention to that. But yeah, I like I like that detail. I did not like her British accent in this, in this movie. <laughs> Well, isn't that isn't she isn't Amber Heard she is British, right? So that was just her not putting on an American accent, I think. No, no, no. she tried to no, yeah, she, she that was a put on. <laughs> Uh, but and it's so strange. I guess because we do have Aquaman now, and we know that she didn't use that accent in Aquaman. So then they and they and they, they back, you know they backtracks and they cut it out in the theatrical cut. She just has a normal accent, I think, if I remember correctly. But um, yeah, it's it's a little strange. But whatever, you just you kind of got to go with it. Um, so Jared Leto's Joker. What is because I he's. The Suicide Squad version of the Joker is very controversial. So, what did you think of uh, Jared Leto as the Joker here? Um, I would love to see more of it. Um, <laughs> I think it, I think it goes very well. Um, it, you know, as far as like, is he my favorite Joker? No, but I love the chemistry between Batfleck and uh, Leto Joker. Like, it's. It works. It's one of those things, kind of like the Steppenwolf armor. Like I was kind of like, eh, a little bit at first, but when you see it and you see how it works and the story that it tells, yeah, no complaints whatsoever. Um, and I think, I think Zach kind of let Jared kind of do, you know, mm-hmm. do the Joker that he wanted to do in Suicide Squad, and we, I feel like we didn't get to again. We didn't get to see, you know, because they cut a lot of Joker's scenes from Suicide Squad, correct? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, David Ayer, who directed Suicide Squad, he's on record as there's a complete like there's a completely different version of, of that film as well. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's again, you know, I want to see I want to see more of it. Um, yeah, it's so cool how well that Batman and that Joker work together, especially seeing as the fact and I don't know if you know this or not, but Ben and Jared were never. In this additional photography, they were never on scene together. Really? Yeah. It's um, so they weren't available to shoot on the same days. So um, Zach had Richard Citrone stand in and do all of Ben's lines, and then they refilmed Ben doing the lines later. So they weren't even on screen together. I I feel like that speaks volumes to the ability like the acting ability of um Ben Affleck and Jared Leto like because you I mean you cannot tell that at all um, yeah well and also and it, Zach's Zach's directing yeah and I mean thinking back like you really don't see 
you know, it, it basically you see Ben's face or you see Jared's face. Like you, you don't ever see them like, you know, really like a shot. Well, you, like yeah, you see, you see Joker like over Batman's shoulder, but that's that's Richard Strong. Yeah, and I and I think that speaks a lot to Richard Strong that he could do the lines well enough to give Jared that thing, you know, to play off of, yeah, to bounce off of like that, that speaks volumes to his talent as well. Yeah. So the, uh, the F bomb that Batman drops, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me, but I could, I could take it or leave it. Yeah. Like it didn't have to be there. Um, I, I mean, if I'm in, in Batman's position right there, yeah, I'm dropping the F-bomb. But like, <laughs> yeah, right. But that's, I mean, it's probably one of my favorite words. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's not, like, I've seen some people, like, you know, like, criticize it and, and stuff and say they don't like it. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't care. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so interesting, though, that, that they let Zack do anything he wanted. And what he wanted to do was to give the fans a setup. Cause you know that's he was trying to poke the bear. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's a, it's, it's genius. Like it's it's exactly what he's doing, and yeah, we'll, you know we'll see what comes of it. Um, well, officially, they're saying nothing is coming of it, but yeah, they said that know. about this too, right? Exactly. So <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean the same thing with the with the yacht scene, which. With between Lex Luthor and Deathstroke, that sets up the the solo Batman movie. Yeah, which I, we're I, I like that. I like I like that direction setting up a solo Batman movie, Batman v Deathstroke, than I do the way the theatrical cut set up the um, the Injustice League kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I I feel like. Again, like as a business move, I feel like more people are going to go watch Batman versus Deathstroke than they will Injustice League. You know? Um, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, you you throw Batman on anything and it pretty much sells. So yeah. But um, okay, so let's. Do you have any nitpicks of the film that you'd like to bring up? Um. Uh. I already said about the slow mo. Um, yeah, it's just there were a couple points where it was like it kind of just jarred me, and um, and the slow mo and the like, not slow mo, slow running, um, those those didn't really get me. Um, I feel like there was a couple of other things I didn't like, but I can't think of them right now. Um, okay, my biggest nitpick. Even though I like seeing him in the film, Martian Manhunter is my biggest. Okay. So, um, I, so I like my favorite Martian Manhunter scene is is the end where he comes to see Bruce. Um, the only issue I have with that is I I feel like they didn't set up well enough. You know why has Swanwick? been you know he's been martian manhunter this entire time and he chose not to help during like the 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 doomsday battle he chose not to help during the steppenwolf invasion you know that's 
that's the only thing I'm like, uh, I don't know if I like that as much. I, I would agree. Uh, and I have going off of that, like I expected the Martian Manhunter thing, the whole like Martha thing, like threw me. Like, I feel like they could have just had that actually be real Martha and it would have been better. Um, I feel like I would have rather seen them have a scene where Swanwick was talking to someone, whether it's uh, Batman or Lois or, 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 or someone, and then after, you know, have a, find a way to work that in. Maybe have him talk to um, uh, Vic's dad, Professor Stone, or something, um, and then after you know the shot, like show him like transforming. That's what I was expecting. Uh, yeah, well, and, and the thing is that Martha and that Martha and Lois conversation is so effective the way it is. It kind of—I yeah. I feel like it just kind of takes away from it just a tiny bit that it's not Martha. Yeah, I feel like that was kind of a way to just like shove um, Martian Manhunter into into somewhere. Like it, it. I mean, it still works because like that's the that's the conversation that kind of gives Lois the push to you know to go back, you know, to being, you know, going back to actually working and stuff, you know, part of the um, world. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is what he was trying to accomplish. So yeah. it, it works, but uh, yeah, again, I, I, li- I really like Diane Lane's performance there. And, and I like that. I mean, she's talking about her son in that moment and then it's, it's kind of, I don't hate it, but it cheapens it just a tiny bit that it's not actually her. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the fact that he changes back into Swanwick, like at that, like why, why would he not just walk out as Martha? Like, would it not be more awkward? Like if Lois like came back out of the room, you know, and all of a sudden there's and Swanwick was standing there, yeah, yeah. like where Martha <laughs> should have been. Um, but anyway, and then you talked about his last scene. He should have said John Jones and not Martian Manhunter. Like, <laughs> I've heard that a few times. Some, some people should call call me or like they call me John Jones. Like, yeah, because I I don't think I've ever heard the Martian Manhunter like self identify as the Martian, Martian Manhunter. Man. Like, anytime he's introduced himself, like it's my name's John Jones, and I feel like that would have added more. Like, it's probably more like the fan service kind of thing. Like. It is general yeah. general audience like they know Man- Martian Manhunter. They may not know that his name is John Jones, but I feel like it adds to the mystery, and you're going to get more people looking up. Like you're going to be like John Jones, who is that? Like let me look that up, and that's going to be trending on Google, you know. And yeah. then people now, go, oh, that's that guy. Like that part didn't really bother me as much. I, I get what you're saying though. Now it's interesting to me that that scene was supposed to be Green Lantern. That was supposed to be Green Lantern. Yeah, so that was the only studio note that Zach had to abide by because they had plan. They have plans for Green Lantern with the with the upcoming HBO series. Uh huh. So they didn't want him to use Green Lantern there. Gotcha. So that like he had planned that scene, and that's why Ben's reactions are kind of they. He doesn't really acknowledge Martian Manhunter per gotcha. se, like because he he's just kind of cool. He's just kind of cool with this guy who's just green, like. Well, and, and that's supposed to be part of the character arc too, because he's not he doesn't have that prejudice, yeah, anymore. Um, but yeah, I like that scene at the end. I, I get what you're saying with the John Jones thing. But yeah, the 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 whole Martha transformation that is my biggest nitpick of the film because I just I I don't. That's the biggest part that 
doesn't work for me as much. Yeah, I I can I completely agree. Um, I would I would fully on board with that nitpick. Um, that made me think of another um, nitpick that I had, and I've already told you about this. And we're just I'm going to say this and leave it at that. I didn't get enough Superman. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and and I understand that sentiment. Um, I you weren't supposed to, but yeah, yeah I get I get which because the whole the whole point of the story is to. Yeah, I, back, I understand so. the reasoning and stuff, but like I always, I always love like, and we got a lot of Clark, but like I felt like I could have used a little bit more like Superman. Superman, yeah. Now we didn't even t- touch on this. Did what did you think of the black suit? Um, it's it's made it hard for me to go back and like the the red and blue suit. Like um, really, yeah. Like it's uh, I don't know. I just like I like the aesthetic better i guess um and then especially going back and looking at the theatrical cut i was like oh god that looks horrible like it just does not i don't know if the colors are just more like washed out or something than they are from like the man of steel and bbs version um Mm -hmm. but and that might have so they put for this suit i've seen a special feature or something somewhere they put kind of chrome plates under the suit Mm-hmm. For lighting effects, and when they really just upped the color in the theatrical cut, those kinda, plates kind of shine through a lot. Yeah, and it gives I it, feel like there's a big difference between theatrical cut, like red, red and blue, than the like Man of Steel BBS, like red and blue. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I wish. I do wish they had given the suit a little bit more like backstory as to why he's he's chosen this black suit. But the aesthetic, I, I completely love it. I love the way it looks. Yeah. I, I, I wish there was more like, you know, um, more reasoning behind it or something, you know. Well, but, in the, in the uh, Death and Return of Superman storyline, the black suit is like a regeneration suit. He yeah, uses yeah. it to, yeah. Every other time, it's you like see him in the tank or something like that, and it's normally like whenever he like normally you have black suit Superman with like a beard and long hair too, like yeah. he's been like in stasis for so long or whatever, and it's again explained that he's it's part of his you know it's like his, yeah it's like his, his Kryptonian hospital gown essentially is what it is. Now Looper did a video on it where they kind of explain that it's you know it's um it's because. Um, Jor-El wears the black in yeah. Man of Steel and Zod was wearing the black so that's more of kind of a traditional Kryptonian um, dress the the red and blue I think is explained at some point in, in the Man of Steel featurettes where that's kind of the the regal, the royal presentation yeah, of there. It's kind of like, yeah, that's that's what I was kind of going to get at. Like you, like normally every day, like black is a more like Every day, yeah. like that's probably what he would wear, like you know, casual dress. And you throw the like the red and blue on there. That's like special occasions, like you know, that's your that's like your Kryptonian tux. Kind of yeah, thing. yeah. But okay, well, cool. I think we've uh, we've gotten through most of it. Uh, I think the biggest question is, do you do you think we'll see we'll see more of this world? WB right now is saying no, but what do you think? Um. I think there's a lot, 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 lot of obstacles um, 
to overcome for us to be able to see more. Um, mm-hmm. I think the stars kind of aligned um, for us to be able to even get the Snyder Cut. Like, and one of those things that you know had to fall into place really was COVID. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I I feel like if COVID never happened and theaters never shut down and production on all these other movies never shut down, um, I don't think we ever see the Snyder Cut. I don't think you ever put WB in a position where um, they feel like it's worth it to them to do it. Um, I agree. So, and I think, you know, the Snyder Cut, like, all of that was already there. Like, all of this movie was already there except for, you know, the CGI stuff and the nightmare scene and, and you know, a couple of, um, you know, other things. To be able to get Justice League 2 and 3... Um, you're talking about, uh, and especially just the, the cost of having to like bring all these people back in, like you're, you're talking a big, 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 um, expense. Like, cause I've seen some people toss around, well, you know, well they could do the Snyderverse on like HBO and mm-hmm. like, do you realize how much money that's going to cost on top of the fact that you would just basically like, it's either, I don't think we get a continuation of the theatrical cut and that universe that's already established um, and a Snyderverse. You're going to get one or the other. Um, and right now it seems like WB is not backtracking and wanting to, you know, um, make Snyderverse canon again. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, or retcon. The, that's, that's the word I was looking for. I don't think you're going to get WB retconning the theatrical cut. Um, I think that's financially that's too much of a hit for them. I mean, but well, so the 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 way I feel about it, I'm gonna I completely support the the new hashtag release, <laughs> the Snyderverse. I, I I've been behind it. Um, I'm not I I'm not gonna get nasty over it, and I'm not gonna fight people over it. I never did with release the Snyder cut. I I've keep I try to keep myself very very positive. If we get it, that's great. Yeah. And if if not, that's that sucks. But I have three films here that I love. Yeah. Um. Now, I thought it was kind. I thought it was kind of a long shot until the other day, when Netflix and I don't even know if you've seen this or not, but Netflix paid four hundred and fifty million dollars for Knives Out two and three. That's a that's a lot of money for that franchise, like right. And I'm and I'm wow. I'm sitting here thinking, if if Netflix thinks there's enough money, if there's enough, you know, worth to put that much money into a franchise like that, then why in the world wouldn't HBO Max want to invest in this world? Yeah. So I think it's definitely a possibility. I think, like you said, there there are some stumbling blocks. The issue is not only will the studio go for it, but do these actors want to come back and do it? Yeah, again, like I said, like you've got people that are like were already big, but now they're even bigger because <laughs> of all the movies and stuff that they've been in. And um, you know, I think a big a big hurdle you have is um can Ben Affleck, you know, kind of, I know, I know he may have the desire there, but 
how, and think about like the timeline, how long it would take to get those just the two Justice League movies made and on, you know, and in theaters. Like, is that something that he's willing to, you know, because you're looking at minimum probably six years before we would see Justice League three. You know, is that something he's wanting to someone who's already at one point, to, you know, said, OK, like I'm, I'm done with the suit, you know, kind of thing. And backtracked on it, you know, is he going to want to sign up for even that much longer? Um, I, I think with Ben, I think if Zach, if Zach wanted to do it and it was actually Zach and he asked him to, I think Ben would. Um, Henry Cavill is a little tougher because we don't know what's going on with Henry. We don't even know if he's actually, if he's going to come back as Superman at all. So and, and Henry is a is a bona fide megastar now. I mean, he's so busy. He's got The Witcher, and and he he was in the Mission Impossible film. And I think there's just a lot more that's going to come down the pipe for Henry. So Henry's tough. I I I, I kind of disagree with like Henry being tough because from like what I've seen on him, like taking The Witcher as an example, like that's a character he loves. And like he's going to like he will say no to other projects to to do The Witcher, and I feel like he's got like I feel like Superman has like the number two spot like in his heart as far as roles to play. Um, well, I don't even know if it's number two. I I think I think uh, The Witcher may be uh, a close number two to Superman. Yeah, like I think I think his heart is definitely in the Superman role. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, his dog's name is Cal, for God's sakes. Yeah, like it's. <laughs> I, I think it's. I think it's there. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I. He to me, he's probably the easiest because he's still, uh, he's still young. Like he's still, again, like you said, he's in, like he's in the prime of his career. I, yeah. I, I think he's probably the easiest person to get on, especially like you said, like with Ben, like. Well, Gal is Snyder probably is the easiest because she's very invested in Wonder Woman. Yeah, that's. Has she had any other big roles? Like that's probably. That's well, she was in the Fast and the Furious, and um, but yeah, the, the Wonder Woman's definitely her biggest. Yeah. Um, uh, I think Ray Fisher with the studio issues would be tough because he's he's very outspoken against the studio. Yeah. Um, but he loves Zack Snyder, so I'm sure that relationship they could make that work. Ezra Miller is is. Fully invested in the Flash, he's about to kick off production in a few weeks, I think, on his movie. So, which we're also getting Ben back in. So, yeah. So there's, I mean, there's definitely possibility. Um, like you said, like I'm not gonna, like I'm not gonna complain if we don't get it. I'm now, I'm not gonna get you know nasty or anything like that with anybody over it. Um, because again, like I, I understand like the logistics side of it. And also like, I feel like this is a fitting into the, you know, if it's all we, if it's all we get, I feel like this is a fitting into the, the Snyder cut story, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the way he handled it and wrapped it up kind of with the, with the nightmare scene and, and, and things like that, like that's, that was a great way to say, it was a great way to end a film and say, okay, if we wanted to do more, we can do here's more. yeah here's more if not this is this is it you know this is 
I, this is my cut. This is my baby. Here it is. This is exactly. It. Yep, I agree. Uh, that that feels like a pretty good place to to close out. So since this is the first movie review for this podcast, uh, we have a, a new ranking system. We're going to give out of ten batarangs. And some closing thoughts. So out of 10 Batarangs, how many would you give Zack Snyder's Justice League? Um, I am going to go with 8 Batarangs. Um, that was, uh, that's, I know that's kind of an easy way out because that's the same as the IGN review. Um, <laughs> but whenever we talked about it after we had both had a chance to watch the film, I, I, that's what I told you. I was like a solid 8 out of 10. I completely agree. Um you know, it's a it's a great film. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've got a couple of nitpicks here and there that we've already discussed, um, and you know, those kind of are what take off, you know, from being the perfect ten. Um, mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's it's great. Like it's um, uh, yeah, eight out of ten batterings. Nice. I am gonna give it nine. Out of ten batarangs, it, it it almost even gets like nine and a half, like nine and one bent batarang. <laughs> but but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with nine out of ten. Um, again, like I said, it's not a perfect film. Uh, there I do have like the Martian Manhunter nitpick, even though I love seeing him on screen. Um, and just a just a few things here and there. Um, nothing really of of huge note that I can bring up other than that. So. Yeah, that's I, that's the only reason I can't really give it the full ten out of ten. But this movie is is everything that I've been waiting for since two thousand seventeen when I thought I was going to get this originally. So that yeah, I'm I'm extremely happy with this film. Um, I love the characters, I love the story, I love the music, I love the visuals. So it's just it's it's a really great film for me. It's 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 top tier superhero action. So yeah, that's uh, that is our look at Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, Matt, thank you for for coming on for your first ever podcast, and thank you for coming on to talk about this movie with me. Yes, sir. It was uh, it was an honor, like I said, um, especially on such a, a big podcast for such a big um, piece. Um, I'm had a great time recording this, and I'm hopefully looking forward to um, doing some more with you, man. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, now I know you're not huge on social media, but if if the listeners want to find you on social media, where where can they do that? Um, the only thing that I'm on is Instagram, um, and I am simply um, on Instagram. It is Matt Hewlin, M A T T H U L E N. You can find me on there. I'll be doing my best to um, support the Fire Rises podcast on there. Awesome. Thank you, thank you. And if you'd like to find me, you can find me on Instagram, Vero, and Twitter at MeCarter89. That's M-E-Carter89. And once again, if you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. If you wouldn't mind, please uh, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It, it really helped the show out, and we really appreciate it. And if you'd like to email the show, you can send us questions or anything like that at TFRBatPod at gmail.com and until next time I'll always remember as Batman says I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells he's never fought us not us united
Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with AT&T, Warner Brothers, or DC Comics. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the participants are solely theirs and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. Oh, contraire, my little fish stick. He knows exactly what it's like to lose someone he loves. You know, like a... a father. Like a mother. Be very careful with the next thing you say. Like an adopted son. Isn't that right? <laughs>